Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. Before we go any further, uh, my, my name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. But before we go any further, I want us to pray. I'm going to ask David to pray in just a moment. A couple of things. Um, one, a lot of you know about the tragedy at Campbell this past weekend where a student uh, fell to his death. And we just want to pray for that family. And we want to pray for all the, uh, the people at Campbell who are connected anybody who's at Campbell is connected with this it's a it's a difficult time and second uh just got word this morning that Mike Shreves has gone to the hospital he has uh some he has a cardiology appointment on Friday but apparently some of the symptoms have reared their heads again and so they're admitting him for test just want to pray for Mike uh as well so David if you would pray let's pray God, we thank you for the community in which you have placed us, for the network of relationships and families that, that uh, make up Grace Community Church and the body here. And we recognize that many pieces of our body, many parts, are also deeply connected to the Campbell community, faculty and staff and students. And so we pray um, that in the midst of a very difficult and dark circumstance, uh, that we might be a gospel presence in Bowie's Creek, uh, that all of us who have our hope firmly in Christ uh, would be able to share that foundation with those who may not have that hope. For all of those who have been affected deeply by this death, for those students who are friends, for the faculty who were teachers of Ezra's, for those who... Um, witnessed the event and all the circumstances surrounding it. God, we pray that your presence would be tangibly at work, would be visibly um, moving to provide peace for your glory, uh, to provide hope and comfort. You've promised to bless those who mourn, and so we mourn with all of those in Bowie's Creek and back in Stokes County who are mourning this weekend. We pray also for uh, Mike as he is in the hospital with these specific issues. I pray that the symptoms would ease, that you would bring uh, healing to him in the midst of the peace that you're already bringing, the comfort that we know that you're ministering through the Holy Spirit to him. Pray that Terry would be uh, a, a source of strength and help for him. And the rest of the family would remember him in prayer, but also serve in the ways that they can. But we pray very specifically for Mike's healing and for his trust in the meantime, especially as uh, they figure out what's going on and how to treat it. We lift him up to you. We intercede on his behalf. We thank you that because Christ intercedes for us, uh, because he stands at your right hand, you hear us. You love us. And we long to see you at work uh, in both the Campbell community and in, in Mike's body. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David, very much. Just remember these and, and, and the wells and just so many people who are hurting. Don't you wish you had the right words for people who are in pain? I mean, don't you wish that you could offer comfort when comfort is absent and seems to have absolutely no intention of returning you? that you could just express the exact right sentiment. We're thinking about individual 
situations, but what about on a larger scale where the world is broken? And as Jim McLaughlin prayed for our election on Sunday, he didn't know what to say. How do we know what to say? Now, look, a lot of you could get up and say, well, I tell you, this is the way it's got to be. We can't let this person. We can't let that person. And yet we recognize that our God is sovereign. And it's almost like I don't know what to say other than put your trust in God. Put your hope in God, not in princes as we Saul from Psalm 146 on Wednesday night when we gathered after fasting and prayer. Here at Grace on Sunday mornings, we're in a series about engaging the world with the good news of the gospel. Now, the word gospel means good news. And so that would imply that we have answers for people's pain. And ultimately, the gospel is the answer for all pain that people endure. It doesn't feel like it a lot of times. David prayed exactly the right thing. That the, that the son is at the right hand of the father making intercession for us. And he makes us worthy to stand in God's presence because of his death, his sacrifice on the cross. It all works together. The gospel is so much bigger than just the plan of salvation. But it is at least that it's a word from God it's not our word it's God's word to a broken world not everybody though wants to hear from God some because they don't believe in God like what are you talking about others because they have imagined God in a particular way and then something happens and their worlds are shattered and it's like my God would never do such a thing Others, still others who think that that they are masters of their own faith. And God has thrown a spanner in the works, as my Aussie wife would say. Spanner for the uninformed is a monkey wrench. It's the same thing we say. Well, that throws a monkey wrench into the works. But when you think you've got everything and you've worked hard, you're in control, and then all of a sudden you're not in control, how could God do this to me? There are two kingdoms that require consideration in our task of taking the gospel to the world. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of man takes many different forms. It goes everywhere from this beautiful, wonderful democracy in which we live in America all the way to the totalitarian regime of North Korea and the terrorism that is around the world. People cutting other people's heads off in the name of God. That's all a part of the kingdom of this world, although it has many, many different faces. If the kingdom of God exists, then ultimately there is only one worldly kingdom. Looks a lot different here than it does in other places. But the the goal of this kingdom is for man to become God. To be indeed the master of his own faith. And I'm finding that difficult to do as long as you have power. So I'm going to try to get more power than you in whatever way is available to me. The two kingdoms, the kingdom of of this world and the kingdom of God intersect at several places. Unforeseen pain and tragedy have a way of getting our eyes off of this kingdom and onto the other. Sometimes, again, people 
react with anger when the Lord has done something. If our expectations of God have been terribly disappointed, an initial response may include anger toward the Lord. But most of us are quite patient with men and women and children who have experienced deep pain. Even if you're not patient with me, I'm glad God is patient with me. So often an initial reaction is one of anger, but then those who belong to the Lord settle down and begin to see the comfort that He has made available. Another place where the two kingdoms intersect is when the gospel is shared. The kingdom of God is crashing into the kingdom of this world. And the gospel is good news, right? I mean, look, we're all sinners... But Jesus died to save us from the wrath of God that is rightly directed at our sin. And if we repent of our sin, we acknowledge our sin and we believe in Him, we spend eternity with Him in heaven. How can that not be good news? How is it that so many people reject it? Well, first... To receive the good news of God's kingdom means that I turn my entire life over to Jesus. And so far, I've been living my life trying to further my own kingdom. So I have to give up my kingdom in order to be a part of God's kingdom. Second, look, I can't even see him. So you're telling me to... To to give everything over to him, all of my time, my gifts, my time, my my finances, my willingness to speak for him when it's quite uncomfortable to do so. You want me to do all of that and I can't even see him? The message of the cross flies also in the face of man's best efforts in this kingdom. The best that man has to offer is over here in the gospel just doesn't line up at all. The cross seems to be a contradiction to rational thinking and religiously inspired good works. It's not only a contradiction, it's an offense. Most of you here know the power of the cross, but most of the world does not. Today's text from Scripture is 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31. Now, if we were going through the book of 1 Corinthians, which I would love to do sometimes, uh, I've often heard pastors say, look, preach 1 Corinthians when you're first coming into a church or when you're about to go. So uh, don't assume that because there's some tough stuff in 1 Corinthians. If we ever do that, don't assume I'm about to retire. Uh, Um, If we were working through 1 Corinthians, though, this text would serve as a foundation for two or more likely three different messages. There is so much here. Expository preaching or or, or going to a text of Scripture and trying to understand it in its historical and grammatical context. Understand what comes before it, what comes after it, how does this person uh, typically address these topics that, that the Lord used through the Holy Spirit. Um, so, it's understanding and applying the text according to all that it means in its original context is a part of, uh, 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 of standard fare here at Grace on Sunday mornings. And when we're preaching a topic like this, um, a lot of times you don't have the same kind of time to dig into a text and 
Even so, though, there is the same level of commitment required to the, to, to the integrity of the text. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to trust me that I've done the exegetical work when I apply this to our topic at hand. It absolutely applies to the topic at, at hand. And if you don't have any idea what I've just said, you're in good company. There are dozens of people all around you who have no idea what I said. And with that... Let's look. It's really important stuff, though, okay? So just go, hmm, yes, hmm, yes, I see that. I agree with that. Uh, so let's look at our text. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31. If you would, please stand for the reading of Scripture. <clears throat> I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, the world can't just figure God out. Can I stop for just a moment? I, I know this will be difficult, frustrating for some of you. Well, I should, it, it, hopefully it's not. Look, a lot of the people in history that shape the way that we think in Western society now, Descartes, Kant, they tried to get alone Put all outside influences away and figure out God. If God does not reveal himself to us, he will not be known. We can't know him unless he reveals himself to us. But Americans especially, but all people in the West think, I can figure God out. I can understand. That's why God becomes what we want him to become. We've made him in our image, not the other way around. So it says in verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. <clears throat> For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father, our only hope is Jesus. And as we think about 
your calling on our lives to share the gospel with the lost. May we be so wrapped up in the cross of Christ that it impacts every area of our lives. May the fragrance of Christ exude from our lives. Open our hearts and fill them this morning. Make us not only um, receptive to the truth, but responsive. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. <laughs> Today is the first Sunday of the month, so we will conclude our service at the Lord's table, sharing the bread and the fruit of the vine together in the remembrance of Christ. I, I would also like to announce that beginning November 2nd, two weeks from today, we will be adding another Sunday in which we observe communion. We'll do so after the time of worship through, through song. And we'll do so for a couple of reasons. One, the people who are serving in the back are almost always serving in the back on Sunday. And they rarely get to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. Secondly, many of you had children in here a few minutes ago. Children who have been saved and baptized and, and they never get to participate in communion. So we'll be allowing them. It will it'll be earlier in the service and they'll be able to share communion uh, once a month. <clears throat> on the um, I already said that, so let's move on. This morning, as we move toward our time at the Lord's table, we're, we're going to think about three points of focus from our text, beginning with this. Do not expect a generally receptive audience when you share the good news of the gospel. You remember those of you who were saved when you were older? You thought, this is, man... I can't believe what I have found. Everybody is going to want to hear this. And not everybody wanted to hear it. I mean, they thought you were absolutely crazy, some of them. If you're going to be a faithful witness for Jesus, you need to come to terms with the reality that you're not always going to be terribly popular with those with whom you share the gospel. The word gospel means, of course... Good news, so why do so many reject it? Remember, you see the cross of Christ as one who walks in the light. You're on actually a, a, an entirely different side of the cross than other people are. But they walk in darkness and they've never understood it the way that you have. And so they resent being told that they're in darkness. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that the religious world stumbles over the notion of God becoming man and dying to redeem us. What do you mean redeem? I don't need to be redeemed. What do you mean need to be saved? What does that mean? Like I'm drowning and somebody's going to save me? The religious tend to think of a relationship with God as a reciprocal relationship. Or an arrangement. Reciprocal arrangement. I do good things. God rewards me. I do bad things. God punishes me. If I break the commandments that are most important, that's when I'm really in trouble. Conveniently, I have determined that the most important commandments are the ones that I can, can keep. You know, I, I, It's pretty easy for me to keep. But I have noticed about you, my friend, that you have trouble with these most important commandments. And frankly, I'm, I'm worried about you. And when you break into that kind of mindset, it's like, wait a minute. You're telling me I'm a sinner? Really? You're telling me I'm a worse person than you? 
I don't do this. I don't do that. How dare you? As for the non-religious, the scientifically minded, the philosophers, the intellectuals, well, the notion of the cross is, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just crazy. It's laughable to some. But for those who believe the cross, the word of the cross is the power of God for salvation. The wisdom of this world will be shown in the end to be foolish. Powerful men and women who oppose the Lord will be putty in his hand. In fact, they are right now putty in his hands. In our time of prayer the other night, Bert Wallace read from Psalm 2. The Lord will laugh at the nations who come against him. He will mock them and hold them in derision. We're not comfortable with that kind of language because we want everything to be all right with everybody. But the language is there. And God is sovereign over all. And one day everything will be seen to be exactly what it is in reality. Since the kingdom of this world is the visible and present power. Your witness may seem to be so foolish to those who are in power as to be dangerous. Because if enough people believe this gospel and are converted, it upsets the balance of power in the kingdom of this world. And we worked really hard to get here, and now you're going to say the kingdom of God is what matters? Well, I, I want to talk about the kingdom of God, but I want to do so in a way that benefits me politically. And so, you will be opposed. The message of the cross is offensive. Which, when you think about it, makes our efforts to, to, to make the gospel palatable, palatable to the world fruitless. When you're trying to make people think, hey, Christianity is just so cool. If you just come along, we've got all these prayer meetings that we have together. And we just worship the Lord and it's just so wonderful. And no, don't worry about your sin. God receives you as you are. And that's just dated. Look, it was, you got to remember the New Testament was written in the first century and that was a different culture than it is today. God doesn't hold us to the same standards. He held people to in those days. You've lost the cross. If that's true, why did Jesus have to go to the cross and die? If it's true that we can live any way we want and just be cool with God and God be cool with us. The message of the cross will always be offensive to those who refuse to believe. Fortunately, we are not the ones who have to convince others of their need of a Savior. It's the power of the Spirit of God using the word of the cross that makes the difference. By the way, I talked about this in Grace Connection class this morning. Don't try to separate the Holy Spirit from the word of God. You get in big trouble. I heard a song this week, Spirit of the Living God. Come and do what only you can do. Maybe you know that song. It's popular right now, apparently. I, I just heard it this week. We're waiting for you. We desperately need to hear a word from you. You've got a word from the Spirit. It's right here. And when you're waiting to hear something that's not in here, you're waiting for the wrong thing. The Spirit of God 
in the power of the word of the cross will save sinners. It's not up to us. We have to present the message. But the Lord is the one who will change people's hearts and minds and lives. And it's done through the foolishness of preaching, which absolutely refers to what happens here on Sunday morning. But it also refers to any time you're sharing the gospel with the lost. You have to understand. Look, what do you think I would rather do? Preach to you who the overwhelming majority of you agree with everything that I say. Or to share the gospel with a lost person who might be antagonistic. I'd lots rather do this on Sunday morning. I've told you this before. People say, oh, you're so bold. Not really. Look, look. You agree with me. But when you take this message to a lost world, and I get to do that at funerals sometimes, and weddings, and Jim McLaughlin was with me one time, where the presence of Satan was so real at this funeral. He doesn't like it when you preach the gospel. Satan doesn't like it. So, others are going to be unsatisfied with your message. And one of the reasons that, or one of the causes that they'll give for their dissatisfaction is, you're not convincing me about your message in the context of my life and my world. And contextualization, which we will talk about after the first of the year, only goes so far. At a certain point, the cross is going to come up against whatever it is that people believe. If they are convinced, it will be the power of God that convinces them, which leads us to contemplate our second point, which is God's amazing design. The power of the word of the cross delivered through weak and broken vessels. You know what the context for 1 Corinthians 1.18 is? He's just finished talking about, you guys are, you're, you're acting like immature baby Christians because one person lines up and says, oh, I like Peter's preaching. Oh, have you heard of Paulus? Oh, well, what about Paul? It's not about the preaching. It's not about the personalities of the people delivering the word. It's the word of the Lord that changes people. Ravi Zacharias says that one of our chief responsibilities as believers is to remove the obstacles between the cross and unbelievers. We're, we're talking about putting this cross on the wall here. We're also going to be changing the screens in here. And, and, and this screen won't always be up. I, I was thinking about how appropriate it is to, to, to think about that as an analogy, though. You know, you've got the cross on that wall, and it's perhaps lighted Well. we'll light it because it's at the center of our message the cross is but then when that screen comes down it'll be obscured you know you won't be able to see it and Ravi Zacharias says you our job is to remove the barriers that exist between people and the cross they have certain things that they think about Christianity and about religion and about the cross so that they can't really see the cross I mean certainly and in context of 1 Corinthians 1, when, when the church is divided, that's a barrier to the cross. I've seen it over and over and over at Grace Community Church, at, at other ministries. When the brothers and sisters are united around Jesus, ministry flourishes. 
people come to Jesus. They hear the gospel and they believe. When there's division, it's like the record. It just stops immediately. When you get past that and unity begins to reign again, the gospel flourishes. Look, there are reasons sometimes that you have to say, we've got to correct some things and it's not going to be pleasant. And that's just all part of the deal. God is sovereign over all of that. But disunity is a definite hindrance to people seeing the cross. If, if, if a church is fighting and fussing all the time, it's like, why do I want, to, why do I want anything with that? I, I, I can have a whole lot better time drinking with my buddies. You know, we, we're, we're just having a good time. You guys are fighting all the time. You hate each other. When we live as though our hope is in this world, we put obstacles in their view of the cross. Have you been wringing your hands over this election? I have. Last week, I fasted a day early because of my schedule, the way it worked, it out, worked out. And I decided I'm going to fast from, from political news. I'm not going to any entertainment. I'm just, just time in the Word, Christian literature, prayer. What a beautiful day. And then after dinner on Tuesday night, I turned the TV on and watched it the whole night, you know, because I'm a political junkie. And I'm right back into a miserable state because I, I, I'm so drawn to putting my hope in this world. And it's misplaced. It is always misplaced. And when I live that way, people say, well, how are you different than anybody else? When we act superior to those who don't believe. <laughs> we're being foolish for starters. But we're pointing to ourselves rather than to Jesus. And that's even a less attractive than the cross. Maybe one of the reasons. Maybe it's one of the reasons God does his work in such a way. That it is unmistakably the Lord who is at work. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Well, isn't that rather arrogant of God? Look, God is perfect. We're not. We judge God the way we want to judge other people. And the only reason Scott Shambly's pride bothers me is because somehow people think better about him than they do about me. And so he's prideful and he needs to... No, we're, we're sinful human beings. God would be doing us a great disservice if he allowed us to live in our pride where everybody speaks well of us. Beware, Jesus said, when others speak well of you. Our hope has to be in the Lord. And he does, the way, he does things the way he does so that no human might boast in the presence of the Lord. Chances are a lot of you are really intimidated about sharing Jesus with others. Maybe they won't think that you're sophisticated enough to try to convince them of eternal matters. <laughs> really? Really? Okay, tell me what you got to say. You know, and just turn around, laugh at the friends, wink, nod. Maybe they'll laugh at you or be angry with you and you'll feel foolish. And maybe you won't be able to answer their questions. In addition to feeling foolish, you'll look foolish in their eyes as well. As good as it is to be able to answer other people's questions, and Scripture tells us to be knowledgeable enough to do that, and, and to be able to respond to their objections of the gospel, it's not your cleverness that brings them to Jesus. 
God delights to use you regardless of your status and position. Oftentimes, it's just someone who is willing to speak out for the Lord. And, and it's, a, it's a word that is said in just the right time. You ever had somebody say to you, and even if they haven't said to you, this is true. Somebody say to you, you said something one time that just changed everything about the way that I think. And you say, really? And they, and they go ahead and tell you. And you're like, oh, I don't even remember saying that. But God gave you that word in that moment to speak peace or to speak conviction or to speak into that person's life in such a way that they're attracted to the gospel. Some of the most sophisticated people have been saved after being witnessed to or after they observed the lives of some of the simplest people you can imagine. God delights in doing that. Do not think that you've got nothing to say to this person or that person. God delights in using you no matter what. Even if it doesn't seem like it at the time. It will be an important day in your life when you realize the truth of this last point. The fragrance of Christ in the life of one who believes is a significant factor in evangelism. The closer you are to Jesus, the more people will notice. Some will love you for the fragrance that you exude, and others will be repulsed by the presence of Christ in their midst. So let me ask you, would you say that you've presented the fragrance of Christ this week? Or have you been on full display yourself in all your fleshly glory? If you're a serious-minded disciple of Jesus, and the answer is probably yes, both. Sometimes you've radiated the love of Christ. Other times you've been so full of yourself and your wisdom and your own understanding and your perfect ways and, and, and your clever explanations for the world's problems that you've been just operating in the flesh. And it has shown the closing verses of 1 Corinthians 1 recall Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understand and knows me, understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the Lord. For in those things, in these things, I delight, declares the Lord. The natural inclination of man is to pursue all the things mentioned here, which are not evil in and of themselves, but to pursue them with everything in you and, they can, and, and not realize that they can quickly become idols when used in our own service rather than in the service of the Lord and, and others. Scripture tells us that riches take wings and fly away. Anybody ever seen that happen in your life? Solomon discovered that to increase knowledge is to increase sorrow. In this broken world, when you increase knowledge, the more wisdom you have, more understanding you have, the more you realize how broken things are. And as for kings, God sets one up and pulls another one down. In a moment, everything is fleeting in this life. 
But notice at the end of 1 Corinthians 1, in Jesus we gain everything that we give up in Jeremiah 9. Jesus has become wisdom to us. Not the wisdom that really works today, but tomorrow is not so popular or accepted anymore. And so now you don't have any idea how to live in this world that is changing so quickly. God gives us wisdom in Christ As we yield our thirst for power, Jesus becomes righteousness and sanctification to us. Yesterday, I went to the Carolina-Georgia Tech football game. It was just one of those days. But there were Georgia Tech fans and Carolina fans both who were extremely rude to me. Just rude. Out of the blue. I mean, there were some Georgia Tech fans sitting next to me. And, you know, I, I, I looked over and the woman said, can I help you? You know, and the husband's like, shh, God, don't be terrible. I don't blame him, you know, you see some of them. (laughs) Just kidding. So, but, but then there were Carolina fans, equally rude, you know, and I'm like, and I'm like, what, what did I do? Have I got some kind of sign on or something today? You know, just be rude to me, please. My initial feelings, you can imagine, defensive, you know, I want to say, no, what are you looking at, you know? Um, and even though these were minor issues, I realized how far from a cross-centered life I am. When I can say with John the Baptist, he must increase But I must decrease. By the way, people behind me were talking about politics and they were not in agreement with me. Man, I wanted to turn around, you know. He must increase. I must decrease. When I say that, Jesus' righteousness will work its way in my life as the Lord sanctifies and conforms me more to the image of Christ. And that's a greater power than any political power I might possess. Any power I might have over you. That I can be like Jesus. And then last, in this text, he says, Jesus has become to us redemption. Riches? Look, you may be struggling right now financially. If you're looking at your life in the context of everybody else who's sitting around you. The poorest person here has more than almost anybody in the history of the world. We are so blessed. Next time you go to a buffet, just just think, who eats like this? That's why you can tell I go to a buffet. Some of you don't, obviously. We eat like, Bert says it all the time, we eat like kings and queens in this society. Anytime we want to. Anytime we want to. If you're struggling right now with riches, remember this. In Jesus, you have the riches that far surpass and exceed anything. And that redemption does us not only good as far as our sustenance, but our health, our relationships. It it impacts everything in a positive way. The more centered you are on Jesus, the more of his fragrance will fill the space around you in this world. 
And I imagine that many of you are thinking, that is so what I want. I want Jesus to shine through me. And it's a great desire, and it will help you greatly as you witness to others, but not always. You have to understand that when you share the gospel. We're reminded in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To others, a fragrance from life to life. Look, this spiritual warfare that we talked about last week that is going on all around us, you ever been in someone's presence and it's just you sense this, they're not happy with you, angry, and you don't even, you haven't said a word to them, haven't said anything to them. Sometimes I think, is this the fragrance of Christ? It's not that I am thinking all that about me. I don't. I look at my life and I say, why, Lord? And he says, God has chosen the foolish things, the weak things, the despise things of this world to confound the things that are. He's doing his work through me even though I don't deserve it. But sometimes, even without any words being exchanged, there's just a sense that people are upset with you. You ever had that? Maybe it's the spiritual warfare that's going on. There's a cost for following Jesus. There's a great cost for sharing the gospel. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. Every Sunday we proclaim the kingdom of God and the the kingdom of God that exists now spiritually and will one day exist physically, politically. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we anticipate Jesus' return. We'll read that in 1 Corinthians 11 in just a few moments. To those who believe, Jesus is a fragrance of life. If you have not believed that Jesus died for you, chances are good that either you've not understood the gospel before, even if you've heard it. I heard it all my life till I was 18. And, and finally one day it clicked. It made sense to me. Maybe you've heard it, but you've never understood it. Or the thought of God dying on the cross to you seems foolish and or is a stumbling block. It will never make sense to you fully. If you've examined it and found it warning, it'll never make sense until you believe. And the moment you believe, it's like nothing else in this entire world. Not a feeling. I'm not just talking about a feeling. Though oftentimes feelings are, are there. But it will begin to make sense and it will fall into place. And what the world considers foolish, you will discover to be the power of God to salvation. If you want to believe but you can't find it in yourself, within yourself, cry out to the Lord and ask God to forgive you for Jesus' sake. <clears throat> and, and cry out to Him as one who encountered Jesus when His Son was sick and He wanted Him to be healed. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Believe that Jesus died for you. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for your teaching to us in 1 Corinthians 1 about the power of the word of the cross. And Lord, it was was given in the context of of people who were lining up behind this preacher or that preacher. And, and, And 
as a response, it was almost like, you just don't get it, do you? It's not about you, it's about Jesus. Lord, we all pray with John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. I doubt there are many of us that had as much to lose positionally, physically, politically as John the Baptist had to lose. And with a full heart, he acknowledged Jesus as his head and Savior. Lord, we acknowledge Jesus crucified. We preach Jesus crucified. And this morning as we come to the table, again, we say to the world, we say to one another that Jesus, Jesus' body was beaten and His blood was spilled on our behalf. And He died to save us. Lord, we remember We participate in the blood and body of Christ as we come to this table. And we anticipate His return. So as we gather, we acknowledge Your presence and ask for Your help. And ask that Jesus would become to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. And redemption. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.